0: Hello, everyone. This is Neil Piper, Executive Director at the Presidential Precinct. Today, I'm excited to welcome you to a special season of our Global Founders podcast. Over the next few weeks, we're sharing conversations with Mandela Washington Fellows at the Presidential Precinct. Alongside co-hosts Will Amaker and Benjamin Hotchner and faculty from across the Precinct's five partner sites, Mandela Washington Fellows are leading conversations around the world's most pressing challenges including human rights and justice, governance and democratic development, access to education, and more. Then after the episode, you can learn more about the Mandela-Washington Fellowship by visiting presidentialprecinct.org forward slash LMWF. Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of the podcast of the University of Virginia with Reem Ahmed from Sudan and uh, Dr. Lewis Nelson from the University of Virginia. Just to get ourselves started on this conversation today about volunteering and community engagement, please introduce us to yourselves, your history and your work in this field.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Reem from Sudan as Ben said. Um, I'm a national consultant with the UN Women. My work is in gender equality and women empowerment. I also I do a lot of volunteering work, anything related to women empowerment and gender equality. I'm really passionate about this, so I always work in this.
2: Mm-hmm. That's great. And uh, my name is Lewis Nelson. I am currently the Vice Provost for Academic Outreach at the University of Virginia. Uh, but I come to this place having done 10 years of um uh, on-site field work in Northern Jamaica uh, dedicated to uh, better understanding uh, scholarly production, but through partnerships with communities and through community engagement uh, woven together with social justice work.
0: Thank you so much for your introductions. Can you please tell us what you consider volunteering and community engagement look like in your national context?
1: Okay. For me, in Sudan, we have a lot of youth they are very fantastic. They like to work for the community. They do a lot of uh, volunteering work uh, in terms of health. They want to help people in Ramadan, the holy month. We have um, the always that you find them in the street. They're just distributing water and some snacks for people. Um, They like always to help um, everyone in the community. but the problem is um, our work is not, like, really very organized. Um, For my experience here as Mandela, Washington, following the presidential precinct, I've realized that we do community work each Saturday. So, um, the work is really more organized. Uh, the, there is a fantastic institutions um, supporting the volunteering work. In Sudan, we, we do a lot of work. Maybe we have more use. We have—we we, spent more hours in doing this, but— this work is not really organized. We need to institutionalize ourselves. So that what I've learned and that what I will go implement in my country. Mm-hmm.
2: It's so interesting to hear these things from different national contexts. And in so many ways, I think that the tradition of volunteerism and public service in the United States is grounded in two different impulses. The first is really an entrepreneurial spirit. And so this notion that there is, in fact, agency and power embedded in a single person Um, uh, to go out and to do good uh, in some way. And so I think that that's a thread that does run through, or at least a thread that I've seen that's run through American culture. Um, And the second is just a commitment to operational democracy. And democracy as a political framework presupposes that people are stepping in collectively. Of course, we have elected leaders, but it does put some uh, ethical responsibility on the shoulders of individuals. And so um I think we do have a uh, we have an infrastructure uh, th- uh, in the United that's States right. that comes with a certain supposition uh, from collective in both individual agency and collective work. Now mm-hmm. there's there are a lot of problems that I would highlight mm-hmm. uh, and there's failures and we can get to those uh, in our conversation. But I do think that that's for me when I think about what does volunteerism and public service look like in the United States, mm-hmm. I think it actually comes from a a sort of national commitment to um, an entrepreneurial agency, mm-hmm. and that, but then also a commitment to the machinery of democracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Just so we can establish a common set of, of definitions, what do you consider the difference between volunteering and activism?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think the difference is um, volunteering is an act of dedicated um, dedicate your time to doing um something it might not be like you you don't you can do anything i mean help people in in all kind what in in each in different sectors but um, activism is related to politics a little bit you have to educate um, your time for a certain uh, field a certain work and it's always related to politics so the activists uh, we have in sudan we have a women activist the men activists they're always um, doing uh, they're they're always on opposition they're doing they're they're very involved in politics so i think that's the difference
2: Mm -hmm. I think I'd agree with that. I'm, I'm really intrigued by the question. And it seems to me my first reaction really was that I think volunteerism, at least as Americans use the term, is really governed more by a commitment to um, the provision of resources in some way, mm-hmm. the allocation of resources, yes. particularly to those who, uh, who have fewer resources than do the volunteers. Um, whereas activism, in my mind, is is framed a bit more around political agency, mm-hmm. and so the yes. political, <coughs> excuse me, lens that you used, yeah. I think that's true in my context as well. Uh, so I I think at the highest level, I'd parse between volunteerism and activism uh, by parsing between resources versus individual or political agency, yes. voice.
0: What structures do you think should be in place to sustain a culture of volunteerism and community engagement?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I think that this is one of the things that really does has marked my experience in just even the last few years here at the University of Virginia in a leadership role is the really remarkable infrastructure that communities like Charlottesville have in a in a nonprofit uh, context, and so a robust set of nonprofit um, community organizations that almost always have paid leadership in some way or some paid staff that just keeps the machine going to help an army of volunteers ensure that we're maximizing uh, the use of their time um, and that we're also falling within certain ethical parameters and ethical boundaries, which is, I think, something we should definitely talk about today but um i i think that i think that it does take an infrastructure i mm-hmm. think just releasing the masses mm-hmm. uh, or having the masses you know uh, be released in some way uh, into a community can sometimes do more damage than good and so i it, it does seem to me that some infrastructure is necessary and that my mind immediately goes to to the nonprofit uh, mm-hmm. world at least in my context as a way of doing that
1: Mm-hmm. For me, actually, I do agree with you in um, because for me, volunteerism, what we need to do in my country is to organize it, to do like a nonprofit organization to um, organize the youth effort because they're doing a lot of effort, but it's not like really countable and it can be more benef- beneficial if they just organize themselves. So the kind of structure that we need really organization to do this and a good management. Um, but for activism I think uh, just an um, individual ideologies. so I think it, it will be fair to just leave them yeah have their different uh, opinion on Id- ideologies as as individual and they don't have to get into like a certain organization they have the right to, you have here in the US the the freedom of rights is that the rights of, of uh, you're, you're free to t- freedom of speech yeah mm-hmm. the freedom of speech is the the first in your constitutional law, so I wish that will be in Sudan. So I think everyone is free to do um, to have his his or her different uh, political uh, affiliation or ideology.
2: I totally agree. Yeah. With I think that. Um, And I think you need less of it, although a political infrastructure for activism can sometimes be very efficacious, it can be really helpful, I think it's less essential. Um, I do think that volunteerism does require some kind of an infrastructure. And you used a third phrase that I'd like to pick up on, and that is community engagement. And uh, one of the things that I have been working on in our context here in the last few years is this difference between volunteerism, which really, as I said before, is the... um, expending of my own personal resources in some way uh, for the support of someone who has fewer resources. Mm -hmm. Generally a good thing, right? I mean, that's, you know, thinking of the other, that's a good thing. Uh, But sometimes volunteerism can tip over into exploitation. And I think we have to be, make sure that we have ethical parameters around how that works, Mm -hmm. which is why I've actually migrated more and more towards community engagement as a helpful framework and away from volunteerism, Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, at least in our context, community engagement means two organizations coming together to work together. And those two organizations are going to be differently resourced, but those resources are going to, one of them may be cultural resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, their assets will may not be fiscal, uh, but they'll be deeply cultural. And finding ways to bring communities together to do good work for those who find themselves in disadvantaged contexts has an institutional accountability to it that lends itself uh, that migrates away from the potential exploitations that can come with volunteerism so i um so i i totally agree with you and i just i'd add the organizational component to community engagement in that mix.
0: just as a follow-up to that dr nelson you mentioned the pair disparities that come between volunteering and those who are being volunteered for and and as such, volunteering is often more possible for those who are already privileged. How can we include marginalized voices in this field? Or do you think we have to move our model away from volunteering entirely, to, entirely towards community engagement? Huh,
2: that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good question. I'd love to hear your answer as well <laughs> yeah. on this one. I, I would like us to move away from the language of volunteering uh, entirely, and I—it's the first time I'm actually saying that—in you know, with my outdoor voice, but largely because I think that volunteering presupposes privilege and underprivilege, and while those may be, well, in terms of fiscal categories, in terms of actual financial resources, the, those may be measurable, it tends to value the more privileged person and undervalue the less financially privileged person, and so I'd like to. Um, I think the language of community engagement helps to undermine this notion of valuing one community over the other, the providers versus the receivers, and thinking a little bit more along the lines of how do we both benefit uh, one way from the other. Um, So I think that's just given the conversations around privilege in the United States right now, I think that's my penchant is to move further away from volunteerism. That said, I don't want to lose that the spirit of commitment to the well-being of another person, which is right at the core of volunteerism, like that. There's nothing wrong with that impulse. In fact, that impulse is really good. We want to foster that impulse. It's just that sometimes in its working out and it's uh, the machinery. It can become problematic. So that that that's my hesitancy. What do you What are your thoughts?
1: Actually, for me, it's interesting. I have an interesting example in Sudan. I've realized that. Most of youth who are doing some um, volunteering or they dedicate their time for volunteering work, they are actually in the, in the social class. They are the lower or the lowest class. Mm. Uh, so it's really interesting mm. that this culture came from the grassroots and they do understand the community better than anyone. But it's also important. I think it will be a great thing if we can use the Volunteering culture to to include all the youth with their different uh, uh, social background, with their different professional, to, to be part of this. I think it can be like um a, a part of uh, a huge development process to include every everyone. So now we have it in the grassroots and and through the revolution in Sudan, I realized that everyone has been part of this. Uh, with their different professional background, with their different uh, class they have been part of this, They have been painting the streets and doing really amazing work. So I think volunteering can be like a kickoff for including everyone.
2: Mm. Yeah. I think that's why context matters so yes. much. Right? Different yes, different Contexts are, yes. I mean, they, they are themselves a political construct, yes.
1: right? Yes, yeah. yeah.
2: That's great. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that.
1: That's yeah. Very,
2: that's very encouraging. Yeah, yes. <laughs>
0: Thing about service in a more mandated form where it's an expectation. In Rwanda, the policy of Umuganda mandates that all able-bodied citizens on last Saturday of every month must partake in cleaning up their communities. Um, in Austria, they have a mandated year of service. Can and should volunteerism be mandated by law?
1: Um, for me, I think... We have the national service. We have to do it. You will not receive your uh, You will not get like a stamp from the mini- from the Ministry of uh, Education and from the um another Ministry unless you did this national service. And I didn't do it. I don't like to be forced. And all the youth they use, they're just escapes us. Maybe because they don't like the government itself, or maybe they don't like mandatory things. So I think it will be like a great thing if it's be like from your own, you go and volunteer, but you you being forced to do this, I don't think it's a good idea because it will lose the, the meaning of it. You need to go and do that.
2: Yeah, I think there's two different ways to look at that. I, yeah. I, I agree with yeah. you. One is, I think that you want to capitalize on the desire to actually engage in service mm-hmm. um, as really conveying mm-hmm. uh, much of the meaning. My mind immediately, I've not really thought about this question, my mind immediately went to the inverse, and that is, boy, think about the administrative burden of having to manage all of those people who don't want to be there, who are coming up with ways to undermine the system to the, uh, I mean, if it were were a mandated thing, inevitably you're going to have people trying to, I mean, it's kind of like taxes, right? People try to get out of paying taxes, right? As soon as it becomes a mandated thing, then you have to put an infrastructure in place, to ensure that people aren't exploiting, they're not running around the backsides of things. Um I maybe just a little too type A for this <laughs> kind of question, but uh, I, I worry a little bit about uh, the management of a mandated uh, framework. Uh, yeah. So I I think that's I think that's yes. where yes. it's the flip side of what you said. Yes, right? yeah. yes. Mm-hmm.
0: We have this difference between the US and other places between nonprofits and what we call NGOs. Thinking about this idea of a government mandate, Lewis is still saying nonprofits or NGOs are the backbones of service. But just by the way we're defining these organizations right now, they are already non governmental. And is that kind of reflected in how we react to government mandate for service within the social contract?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in the American context, there's so much controversy and debate about the size of government itself mm-hmm. that were we to move into, um, you know, the, the debates really are around, you know, social uh, safety net systems, you know, and what should the size of social safety net systems in the United States be that are really around fundamentals like health uh, education, uh, public education, and those kinds of uh, those kinds of resources and commitments to the public well-being. Uh, the notion of trying to expand that and house intended volunteerism in that space as well, uh, beyond the governmental systems that are already at play, is something I just don't think America's prepared to have that conversation, right? Um, we can't even really agree that we should have Sort of fundamentals of these kinds of safety nets in place uh expanding it seems uh politically untenable mm-hmm. so the pragmatist i think answers, answers that question <laughs> what do you think
1: actually for us i mean I think the reasoning behind all the amount of that youth who are volunteering because the government was not able to Mm -hmm. provide Mm -hmm. us with the basic services of health and education. I mean, you can find, speaking of education, you will find the youth, um, they did this initiative, they have like um, a sitting area for for the homeless and they just give them um they sit in the streets and they just have this board and try to just give them basic education so i don't think there will be like a um, harmony between the mm-hmm. previous government in sudan and the non-governmental because they make our lives very hard i mean in order to register a non-governmental organization that will be a very hard process and they will be monitoring you i mean even tedx we have mm-hmm. TEDx in Sudan and we were just talking about the history of our country and we have been blocked because mm-hmm. of this. So they just um, closed the, the light and restricted and they just let mm-hmm. everyone out. So I don't think there'll be that harmony. But if, if, if this harmony happened, that'll be I mean, a great thing to work mm-hmm. in harmony with the government and the non-governmental uh, can support the government. I think this is the, mm-hmm. the very good scenario. But within the 30 past years, that mm-hmm. did not yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Your
2: particular history would make it very difficult. I do think that there's something to be said about the fact that nonprofits or NGOs really, um, they bubble up from below yes. because they're so grassroots in their, in, their, uh, in their origins. They're close to communities. They're accountable to communities in a certain way. Um, that now, that's not to say we, we certainly have nonprofits in the United States that are enormous and have massive infrastructures. and so one can scale this to really remarkable uh, extremes. Uh, but as I'm thinking about the nonprofits that really do fantastic work in my hometown here in Charlottesville, I don't tend necessarily to think of all the really big um, uh, you know major national uh, organizations, but if I do, I'm thinking about the local chapter. And how all the agents, meaning the people who are involved, are really for, sort of from this community. They know the community. They know the context. And there's a that brings with it a degree of accountability that I think the distancing of a federal government uh, agency really wouldn't be able to bring to bear. Yeah. Um, and so I think in that way, the contexts are actually a little bit similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Not very, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. resources are very, very different. But
2: the, but the, what I mean to say in that is that um, by a commitment of the locals rising up and doing something uh, in collective action together, um, that that matters a lot, and they're really able to move the needle because they're from within that context. They know that local context, and I think that's another reason why maybe a federal system would be less effective, yes. right? there's no no trust, there's no relationships there's no local knowledge Yeah.
0: Reem, you mentioned Sudan quite a bit during the recent revolution anti-government activism activism coincided with volunteering to provide educational and healthcare resources to those at sit-ins can the conflation of the two undermine each other or do they also reinforce each other?
1: Yeah actually um during this revolution in sudan it was it was really interesting and inspiring for me it was the first time to feel like really proud as a sudanese woman because this this is actually the only and the very moment that you can say that the activism and the volunteerism can be one thing because we all had like one goal and we were all going to the street uh with one slogan, it was or just fall." that's all. We just, we all, we didn't want that government. So everyone was advocating, was supporting, were volunteering for one goal. Mm -hmm. And actually the youth, they create um, a small country that you can find everything and you will feel safe. And there is no harassment in this area in particular. We had a ground rule. We had um, a money when you when you the set and there is a place you put your money. If you if you you have, if you don't have, you take. And actually, everyone is just putting money. No one take. And I've seen also you. They're collecting money under the sun. It was like really hot, really hot. Mm -hmm. And they are fasting and they are taking this money from people to feed people. They don't know. <clears throat> and the doctor they were they're doing this some um, health service to everyone you are you enter you have your health for free um um there is the men young men they're carrying uh, the tent for a uh, ladies to get into a shade so it was really a great thing and inspiring and in this moment in particular you can find everyone is the same they're just that we are all human and we have we want uh, our freedom our rights our dignity so this is the only moment that you can see that um, the activists and the volunteers just one people on one thing and just one concept and we all have one one ideology mm-hmm. we just don't want this government so mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So I don't have anything <laughs> close to that. <laughs> wow, what an amazing story. As I, uh, just a, a, the small thing I can offer is that as I have seen a rise in activism in Charlottesville after the summer of 2017, which is a particular context any of your listeners will know, um, uh, The a lot of that political action um morphed into taking on a leadership and volunteerism uh, wing of its work. Um, and so I, I've seen, I don't know that I've necessarily seen, well, I, I could imagine it's volunteerism becoming activism. Um, but I've definitely seen, after six months of dedicated energy and focus on one particular political initiative around um, some, you know some, uh, so, uh, political action, um a branch of that group moving on to say well actually let's let's do something practical as well that's mm-hmm. like let's move the needle in this arena and so a volunteerism thread or mm-hmm. branch grows off of the activism tree if, it, if, if the analogy works um, so I think I've seen that but nothing as beautiful as as mm-hmm. was gone on in Sudan that's fabulous
0: so just thinking about the future as we we'll finish up this discussion. How do you think volunteers and activism will grow or wane going forward?
1: Um, well, based on my experience uh, being part of the revolution in my country, that I'll say that if you have like one goal, we all have one goal, and we organize ourselves and we structure what we want to do let's say we want to build a new Sudan with a new ground rule for us as a youth to include women, to respect them, no harassment, what we have been doing in the sit-in area to pay our daily living, that, that will change us a lot. That way we can do. We can, we can make this, um, we can use the volunteerism and activism to be toward the one goal and just walk through it. So I think it can be like um, development methodology to work with it. Mm-hmm. I think if we did that, um, we can create a new Sudan. It will be like a great future for us.
2: I'm more reticent to offer a prediction of the future. Your mm-hmm. uh, your hope inspires me. I'm <laughs> really uh, I find that really encouraging. Um, I do think that uh, in my context both in Charlottesville and maybe more broadly and more effectively in the United States, uh, I think that it's going to be essential for Americans to take stock of the benefits that they have received and the privilege within which they operate uh, and transition that to a commitment to the well-being of others. Because if we don't, I think we put democracy at peril, and many countries, young and old, have fundamental commitments. One of our fundamental commitments is democracy, uh, but democracy uh, runs on uh, on the on the tracks of a commitment to the assumption that my neighbors matter, mm-hmm. and. Uh, commitment to selfishness and the centrality of my own personhood mm-hmm. uh, will um, will abort democracy and i i am concerned i'm concerned about that uh, in my nation right now mm-hmm. so i i think i i i hope for uh another orientedness and a selflessness to arise in uh, America's heart I don't know that I see that happening as robustly as I'd like um, but I do think I do think that we're going to be we're approaching a crossroads when Americans have to make those kinds of decisions mm-hmm. both for themselves internally to our nation and also as we face the world um, and so I, I'm, I'm a little, little more tenuous mm-hmm. I'm inspired by the hope of the Sudanese Uh, and that commitment and uh, Americans have a lot to learn from the Sudanese
0: well on that inspiring and also deeply dark note thank you so much you both for our discussion today if you would like to know more about Reem Ahmed's work in Sudan check out the link below have a great day everybody